The last few times I've been here, you've been having to work. And, uh, so, in honor of that, would you please pray for t the Word today? So, Jeff, I should have warned you, like, if this is a terrible homily, it's, it's your fault. <laughs> Not a good prayer. So, if it's a good homily, it's, it's Jennifer's prayer. Yes, absolutely. Well, first, I want to uh, uh, just make a real quick comment about the first song that we did, the Hallelujah, and just give you a little bit of testimony. Uh, I guess it's, it's two years ago now or something. I came back from Africa to find out that my son had uh, 3D melanoma cancer, a, a kind of a rare form that uh, had found in a mole on the side of his head and they had to cut it all out. And of course, you know, the, like anybody, I went through all the, the stuff that you go through and things like that happen in your life. But one of the things I felt the Lord really spoke to me was to um, listen to that song every day. And so I did. And we ate dinner with my son last night. He doesn't look like a cancer survivor, does he? No, he's, uh, he's much bigger than I am. He's much taller, much wider. Uh, but that was a, my song for over a year, for a year and a half or so. Of, uh, and um, you noticed it, I'm sure, when you drove my car yesterday. Yes, I That to. But then I listened to that, and I just took those words to heart that, you know, because do you do y'all know the story behind that song? The guy who wrote that song, and I think I may have this messed up a little bit. Somebody somewhere in the group, I think it was those who wrote the song, uh, had a child that was dying, that had been given up to to die by all the hospital, the doctors and stuff. And of course, this was out at Bethel, which is like you know the healing kind of charismatic healing place in the world right now. So everybody was really praying and stuff, and they got this song and was felt like they to sing this song, and the baby recovered, and is alive. So, uh, a great testimony of the song, and then it's a song that worked powerful in my life, of course, with my son. You know, so when I hear it, it's just you know, mm -hmm. does that thing. I want to share just a real quick, maybe short reflection on our gospel reading today. One of the things that y'all will find about me, or you probably already know this, uh, I tend to identify with the characters in the Bible because that's the way I was taught to read as a kid. It's not to just read words, but to enter into the story, whatever the story was, and become the characters, you know, and, and live there out the character in your head. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes I lived out the character in my life, and I didn't always read the Bible, so... <laughs> Sometimes it resulted in really bad things uh, that I shouldn't have been doing. But So that's, uh, in reading the Bible, that is still the way I read. I try to read is, is I try to read about the characters. What, you know, who are they? And put my place into their, their place. And, and then put my place in Jesus' place and have, this, have these same conversations. 
and uh, the, when I read this passage, the uh, the first thing I was struck struck with was in that verse eighteen, where it said to him, "Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days?" You know, that'd be kind of like living in Tuscaloosa and going like, "Did they win a national championship?" <laughs> You know, that's kind of, that was probably the way they felt about it. It's like, are you serious? You don't know nothing? And I mean, now they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So the assumption would have probably been, well, that this man that, get, that met them was walking from Jerusalem. And, uh, and plus, I, we all think that text messages and emails and phones are the best way to communicate. Let me tell you, the best way to communicate is word of mouth, and it's much, much faster. And if you don't think so, go to someplace like Africa, and you'll find that whatever you said five minutes ago, they know 100 miles away. I don't know how they do that without all the technology, but they do. It's unbelievable. And so their assumption was, well, like, what's wrong with you? And when they asked this real question, I think, it was real, not just where they questioned, you don't, that, but like, you don't know? How can you not know, have not heard of something? Maybe not the whole story, but some of it. You know, let me borrow one of your tissues there, Ryan. Thank you. You have to excuse me for some reason. Uh, being a former Protestant, I blame it on incense. It's always the incense is problem. So, but I love Jesus' answer to them. You know, it's like, what things? You know, what things? Like, he didn't assign much importance to that, did he? Because he just simply said, you know, when they threw that onto him, he just said, well, what things? Like, what's the big deal? I don't understand. But see, Jesus was setting them up this whole time. Because then he goes into this whole, from the beginning to the, to the end of Scripture that they knew, the Old Testament Scriptures, explaining himself to them. You know, he had probably, and you know, the amazing thing is that they didn't get it. And it, this is probably not the first time he had done something very similar to this with the apostles and the, and the disciples, explaining the Scripture and how it, it, it pertained to him in the situation. So he set them up for this, did all of this, and then they still, they don't know who he is, you know. And then it says, when he broke the bread and gave them the bread, they realized who it was. Well, the thing of it is, is how many times do, do, do you do that, you know? And not say that like this. How many times do I do that? How many times have I in my life questioned God? about what he's doing in my life or in or even culturally like what are you what don't you know and uh, so as I was looking at that I was reminded that in Mark 4 the story of Jesus stealing the seas that the uh, disciples had a very similar reaction again back when they was in the boat you know? mm -hmm. now they're in the boat with Jesus you know, going somewhere. But it gets kind of rough. 
pretty much like our lives, you know. We're in the boat, and we're going. We're on this journey with Christ, going somewhere. He's called to us, and we've responded to Him. And so now we're on this journey. And we, like, we tend to have a tendency to criticize Him because of His lack of response to our perceived needs, much like the disciples. When it says, you know, they're in the boat and the seas are rough and stuff, and they go, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The, uh, again, I had not really thought of in, uh, using this as the example, but that was one of my first reactions when I found about, about my son having the cancer. was, Teacher, do you not care that my son might perish? You know, and... By God's grace, for one of the few times in my life, I didn't carry that conversation on very long. You know, because I realized, like, boy, that was about as dumb a thing as I could ever say. <laughs> of course he cares. He cares about every hair that's on our head. Mm -hmm. Says he stores every tear mm -hmm. in a bottle. Every tear that you've ever shed, he has. In a bottle. He stored it. He has it on his shelf as a reminder of his love for you. But that's the way we tend to react. That's the way the disciples reacted. That's the way we react so many times. And in that, I find great encouragement because these guys that seem to be sometimes we can read that like these guys were not the smartest guys, apparently. They didn't, it took them a long time to get it. There's always questioning him, always messing up. Even to the very end, they run, they hide. And even after he's risen from the dead, we still find him hiding, you know. But these are the guys. These are the guys that totally, completely changed the world. Because when they did get it, they got it. At Pentecost, which is our next season of celebration in a few weeks, is the season of Pentecost. The season of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally having our eyes opened to him. One of the reasons that the Eucharist is what we uh, call the centerpiece of our worship, the centerpiece of our Christian lives, is because it's in the breaking of bread we find in Emmaus where they finally knew who he was. So in the breaking of bread at every Eucharist, we have an opportunity that's presented to us if we'll but pay attention, if we'll but embrace what's going on, for our eyes to be opened anew and afresh to His incredible, as the last song says, reckless love for us and for who we are. Not who He wants us to be, but who we are. The battle that most Christians face is, of course, we don't know who we really are in Him. If we really understand, if we could begin to see ourselves as He sees us, we would be much more inclined to have grace to all of those who are around us and to accept His reckless love for us in all situations. There's never a situation that His love is not sufficient for. There's never a situation that it's not reckless either. 
I mean, would you put all of your love and hope in someone like me? Or how about the guy that's in a prison cell? Would you pour your every fiber of your being, every molecule of your emotions and love into that person? No. Because we are human. He's not. He is God of God, very God of very God. And that's what he does with every one of us. That's how reckless his love is, that he is willing to risk it all just for you. Just for you. Too many times as Christians we forget that he came and he died on a cross for you. For one. Yes, there is the, the part of, of this story that where he died for the whole world and he redeems the whole world in his death. That redemption is there for whoever so reaches out to it is there. But he died first for the one. He died first for you and me. And in that, I don't know how that works. I'm not, I'm not a good enough theologian. Actually, I'm not a good theologian at all of any kind. And my father <laughs> never claimed to be. I didn't unwrap all of my books on theology in seminary, unfortunately. But he does that in some miraculous, miracle way. That he died for one and died for all at the same time. But the emphasis is always on the one. Too many times we get the emphasis on the all. And it's got to be an all thing or nothing. Which is just one. We never know what, what the one that's in front of us will result in. At one point in my life, I was really struggling with a lot of condemnation and failure issues, and which was, you know, pretty much the way it was at that time. And I was really struggling with having really messed up so bad that my life would have no meaning whatsoever. And I was really complaining and griping to the Lord about all of that. And um, as the I don't know how God speaks to you in your heart, but most of the time, he asks me a question, you know, kind of like, what thing? Question. And sets me up to begin to understand something about Scripture and what Scripture says about, what, about the what thing. And so I was complaining, like I said, I was complaining about the Lord, but, you know, I messed up so bad, you know, I was, uh, would never have any real use or whatever. And so the Holy Spirit just very quietly said, uh, do you know who led Billy Graham to Christ? Does anyone here know who led Billy Graham to Christ? Almost zero. And very, very few people can answer that question. Because it was just a guy, I think he was a Sunday school teacher in a church. Just a small guy, no big, as far as I know, he never did anything else. It's just a simple Sunday school teacher. And he was the one that led Billy Graham to Christ. And then the Lord made a statement to me that like made me stop and go, what? He said, who do you think gets the most glory? Billy Graham or the one that led him to Christ? 
And I was like, well, of course, Billy Graham, he led like millions and millions of people to Christ. And he goes, yeah, but he got a lot of credit. Doesn't the word say that if you get your reward here, you don't get it in heaven, but if you don't get your reward here, you get it in heaven? So think about that for a little while. And so then the Lord said very clear to me, you know, you're never going to know until you get here. But you just need to trust me that I will glorify myself. Mm -hmm. You don't ever, ever walk away from the one. Because you don't know if the guy that you're talking to, the guy that you're giving some money to as a handout, might be the next Billy Graham. Or the next whoever. The next Spurgeon or Moody or whatever. You don't know. We don't know what God has in store for the one. So we should always be reaching out to the one Always, even in the midst of, of a lot, you reach out for one. Heidi Baker says it's the one that's in front of you. It's always the one that's in front of you. Not the mass of people, but the one in front of you that you have the most impact, real, actual real impact with. And so that's just my simple reflection on this is that let us just remember that, that He loves us so much and that He's reached out to you and drew you into his, this unique relationship that you have with him. And your relationship is vastly different than mine with him. And that's marvelous. That's this really, that's such a wonder to me to, of that. Because I, you know, like, I, we all tend to have the same kind of friends. You know, not many people have a diversity of friendships that come from a kajillion different backgrounds and have a, a kajillion different kind of philosophical type of views. We tend to associate with those who are more similar to us, but he associates with all of us because that's how reckless his love is for each and every one of us. Amen? And remember, in the Eucharist, and you, you're going to hear this out of me a lot because the Eucharist is one of the most important things that I participate in, is that it's the opportunity that's presented to you to have your eyes opened. All you have to do is come willingly. Just like when you came to, be, to accept Christ as your Savior. Simply, willingly, no agendas, no, no theology, but to accept His reckless and measurable love for you. And trust me, maybe not every single time, but many times, your eyes will be opened to that simple thing, His reckless love for you. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.